So we're talking about these differences between the King James and modern versions. And we're just going to jump right in because I got a lot I want to, I want to finish this tonight if possible. So we're just going to jump in, pick up where we left off. More confusion on who Christ is. Isaiah 14, 12, the King James. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? The NIV says, how have you fallen from heaven, morning star? Well, that might be a problem because of Revelation twenty two sixteen. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Does that sound like a problem to anybody? Was Christ sinless? In the King James here, 2 Samuel 7, 14, I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. In the ESV, when he commits iniquity. Now, this is talking about the coming of Christ through the Davidic covenant. So there's a double meaning here. There's aspects that will apply to Solomon. And there's some which will apply to Christ. But Christ was sinless, right? So it was not a matter of when he sinned, as the modern version says. And so we see more exactness with the King James. Was Christ sinless? Matthew 5.22 But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Go to the ESV. But I say unto you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. This is another problem when we talk about Christ being sinless. In Mark 3, 5, uh, in both the King James and modern, modern versions, Jesus, he looked upon the Pharisees with anger. Remember that? Because of their hard hearts. So in the King James, Christ was justified and can still be sinless and, and have righteous indignation. But in the modern versions, Christ would have condemned himself and would have been guilty of sin. Well, without a sinless Savior, we don't have salvation. Because it took a perfect, sinless lamb. Is salvation difficult for all? Mark 10, 24. And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches? to enter into the kingdom of God. And the ESV, and the disciples were amazed at His words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult is it to enter the kingdom of God? No, no, no. No, it's not difficult to enter the kingdom of God. So, 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity of that is in Christ. Salvation is not difficult. Right? Any, even a child can understand and enter in. And so to change this is, is very uh, problematic here. Alright, talking about the simplicity in Christ, 2 Corinthians 11.3, I just read that. The simplicity that is in Christ is what our King James says in the ESV. Um, it's a pure devotion to Christ. Are you picking up on the subtle difference here? It's not about works. The simplicity in Christ is salvation in Him alone. Modern versions corrupt the simplicity which is in Christ into something we have to do. What are we to live by? Luke 4.4 But by every word of God. Sorry if I move a little bit fast. ESV 
Then said the devil to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Well, yeah, I'd like to have a steak every now and then. (laughs) Satan doesn't want us studying the Word of God. And here we see Satan doesn't want us to live by the Word of God either. The greatness of God's Word is under attack. Psalm 138, verse 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. This is the NASB. For you have magnified your word according to all your name. NIV. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. Uh, For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. That's at least a little better. So modern versions just can't seem to get themselves to say how important the word of God is to God himself. Christ's death is under attack, Luke 9.31. Behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. ESV, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Christ didn't just depart from Jerusalem. He gave his life in Jerusalem. So you can depart without dying. I plan to depart this building tonight without dying. Now, it's the Lord, thy will be done. Amen. But I'm just saying, that's my plan. And so this may, these may seem like little things to you. These are big deals. And, and if you go back and you understand, and I'm going to keep hammering this thought, if you go back and you understand all that I was trying to say about textual criticism and what they were saying about Christ, this is how it shows up. Because remember, there's, there's that group back then that was saying, well, Christ, he, he, was, he was here in human form. It wasn't really Christ that died. But somebody died in His likeness. Well, you see all this uh, coming up in some of these. The corruption of God's Word is being hidden, 2 Corinthians 2.17. For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity, but uh, as of God, in the sight of God speak we in Christ. ESV. For we are not like so many peddlers of God's Word. That's a difference. Uh, in fact, it's a big difference between corrupting and peddling. Simply put, peddling is to sell. Corrupting is to mix holy and unholy together. And this particular Greek word has the idea of watering down. Satan doesn't want modern Bible version uh, readers to think God's Word could be corrupted. But it has been. Did God offer Himself? Genesis 22.8 In the King James, and Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together in the ESV. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. This may be a little more semantics. I'll give you that, but I see a difference here. Some may suggest this is just semantics. Um, But God providing himself a lamb and God providing for himself the lamb to me, is a little bit different. Christ Himself would be the Lamb, and Christ was God. Why did Christ suffer on the cross? 1 Peter 4, 1, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 5. Purge, you out, or purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened, For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. 
In the ESV, it says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, uh, where's, where's for us? How about the next one there in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 5? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may blah, blah, blah. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Yeah, for us. Big difference. Yep, what a comfort to know Christ died for you. All right, what does Jesus call sinners to do? Matthew 9.13, He calls them to repentance. ESV, He just calls sinners. Of course, Jesus is calling sinners, but to do what? Repentance is a change of mind. That change of mind ought to lead to a reversal. Jesus calls us to Himself not to remain sinners. Amen. What happens to those who refuse to repent? Well, let's start putting this together. Look at that in red. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. I probably should have read all this. And he said unto them, In what place soever ye enter into a house, abide there till you depart from that place. Whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you when you depart then, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment than for that city. ESV And he said to them, Whenever ye enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all people should repent. So, what happens to those who who refuse to repent? There is a judgment day coming. And the King James talks about that. There is a judgment day. It's not mentioned in the ESV or most modern versions. All right, what happens if we don't forgive others? Mark eleven twenty six. 26. And when ye stand praying, forgive if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. And they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, blah, blah, blah. All right, ESV. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But where's verse 26? It doesn't say if you don't forgive, neither will you be forgiven. Well, that's one of the major points of forgiveness. All right, it's retained in Matthew 6.15 for any of that want to nitpick me. All right. Do we need to confess our sins to an earthly priest? James 5.16 in the King James says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and here's what the ESV says. Therefore, confess your sins uh, to one another and pray for one another. This is a big difference. Uh, the Roman Catholic leaning of those involved in those corrupt texts that we were talking about back there during textual criticism, um, this change seems to justify the fact that you have to go to some, somebody to confess your sins, some earthly priest. You don't come to me and confess your sins. You go to God, Amen. Confess your faults is different than confessing your sins. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Amen. All right, what will, be, what will we be arrayed in at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Revelation 19, 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the linen, the fine linen is the righteousness of, of saints, ESV, for the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. What? 
I thought all of our righteousnesses were as filthy rags. Amen. I probably say that in there. See, man, boom. All right. Matthew 22, there was a man who did not have on the required wedding garment, and he was cast into hell. I'd say this is a very dangerous uh, modification to modern versions here. All right, once we're born again, we're saved, right? 1 Peter 2, 2, in the King James, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. ESV, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Oh, no. We understand there is a progressive sanctification after we are saved, but salvation in the sense of acquittal and reconciliation is settled the moment that we are saved Amen. and we trust in Christ. Amen. We are not growing up into it. Once we're saved, we're saved. Amen. All right, once we're born again, we're saved, right? 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. ESV says, for the, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. These additions in 1 Peter 2, 2, 1 Corinthians 1, 18, it makes salvation look like it's a process that and it fosters the Roman Catholic teaching that believers' works help to merit salvation. But the Bible teaches when we're saved, we are completely saved. Amen. Amen. All right, what happens when you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost? Mark 3.29 in the King James, it says you are in danger of eternal damnation. In the ESV, you're just guilty of an eternal sin. What's an eternal sin? The Bible knows, never says, but it sounds to me kind of like what the Catholics call mortal sin. All right. I'm just saying a lot of this stuff entered in. We may not know what an eternal sin is, but we all understand what is meant by eternal damnation. <laughs> all right, is your spiritual house founded upon the rock? Luke 6, 48. He is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock, and when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house, could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. ESV, because it had been well built. Whoa. Big difference. Modern versions suggest the believer's security isn't dependence upon Christ, but rather upon the quality in which we live. This implies works will keep us safe through the storms. What a shame of what's happening. Psalms 61, 2 and 3, From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for thou hast been a shelter for me. Amen. Amen. Man, I don't trust in anything I'm, I do. Amen. I'm nothing without Him. Amen? Yep. Amen. How are we to walk as children of light? Ephesians 5.9 says in the King James, For you were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. ESV, for at one time you were darkness, or you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. For the, fruit of the light, or for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So if we want to walk as children of light, living holy lives, then we must have the gracious working of the Holy Spirit to produce holy fruit as God's children. Amen. In verse 10, we are not left to ourselves to discern what is right and what is wrong, but the Holy Spirit will prove 
what is acceptable to God. It is a fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of light. Okay. <laughs> Snarkiness is starting to build in my, my... Okay, let's move on. Who was in the fiery furnace with the three Hebrews? Daniel 3.25 in the King James. It says the fourth is like the Son of God. If you've been in our Daniel series, this is fairly fresh in your minds. In the ESV, the fourth is like a son of the gods. So Nebuchadnezzar knew who he was seeing. Just after this, he blesses God for sending his angel, which is Christ usually, or many times in the Old Testament, you'll see that, to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <clears throat> How about Christ's eternality? Micah 5.2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. NIV, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou... <laughs> Sorry, I got so much of the king's English in me, amen, I can't even read the new one. <laughs> though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. What? That's a big problem. The King James clearly teaches the eternality of the Son of God by referring to His goings forth and defining these as from everlasting. The NIV, on the other hand, gives the Son of God an origin or a beginning as though He was just another uh, Son of God by creation like the angels. Make sense? Christ has no beginning. No beginning of days, no end of life. How about Christ's eternality in Revelation 5.14? And the four beasts said, Amen, and the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. And the ESV and the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. If Christ was God in the flesh, then he is omnipresent, right? John 3.13, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. ESV, no man hath ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So the King James is retaining the union between the two natures in the person of Christ. He could be said to be present in heaven while at the same time being present on earth. And this is just another attack on Christ's deity. All right, more omissions of Christ's deity, Matthew 19, 16, and 17. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good Master, What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. ESV says, And behold, a man came to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, you have to slow down. And you have to really digest this to get it all. But the King James, Christ was effectively saying to the young, rich ruler, only call me good if you believe I'm God. Are you catching that? Christ must be God or else He shouldn't be called good. That's what Jesus is saying. Why callest thou me good? There is one good, that is God. For only the Most High in His nature is good. Modern versions lose this indication of his deity. All right, omissions of fulfilled prophecy <laughs> on crucifixion day in modern versions, Mark 15, 28. And with him they crucify two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered 
with the transgressors, and they that passed, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> ESV, and with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left, and they who passed, dot, dot, dot. So where's verse 28? Where is the Scripture being fulfilled? Kind of a big deal. All right, how about more on crucifixion day? Matthew 27, 35. And they crucified Him and parted His garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted My garments among them, and upon My vesture did they cast lots. ESV, when they had crucified Him, they divided His garments among them casting, by casting lots. So it's, it's missing from that one. It is retained in John 19, 24. Why remove it at all? Another subtle substitution, John 9, 4. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. ESV, it says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. So what's the big deal between I must work the works of him that sent me and we must work the works of him who sent me? Christ was sent by the Father and he willingly accepted his commission. Christ's miracles were performed in his own name by his own authority. In contrast, the apostles did sign and wonders through Christ's name. Modern versions place Christ and the disciples on the same level. And they remove a reference to Jesus' messianic commission. Also, by stating, I must work while it is day, Christ was indicating that He had work to do on this earth and that the day of His suffering and death was on the horizon. Was God manifested in the flesh? Well, this is pretty important. 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest. In the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received of in the glory. ESV, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh. Who? Who's he? This is a direct assault on the deity of Christ. God in the flesh is our faith. The Texas Receptus has the Greek word theos for God, while the corrupted text changed theos to hos, which can be rendered he, she, a number of words, this, that, one, etc. This is a big change. Why change 1 Timothy 3.16? Part of Westcott and Hort's translation committee was a Unitarian named Dr. G. Vance Smith. Unitarians deny Christ's deity as well as the Trinity. That's why they're called Unitarians. Despite an attempt to have him removed from the committee, Westcott and Hort defended his presence and he remained. Dr. Smith wrote this, quote, The old reading has been pronounced untenable, which means unsupported and not defensible by the revisers. It is another example of the facility with which ancient copiers could introduce the Word of God into their manuscripts, a reading which was the natural result of the growing tendency in early Christian times to look upon the humble teacher as the incarnate Word and therefore as God manifested in the flesh. Yeah, we look at him as God manifested in the flesh, amen? So he's clearly asserting here Christ was not the incarnate Word. And therefore, God 
he, Christ was not God in the flesh. This is a man translating the Bible. What? All right. <clears throat> Here's what Charles Spurgeon had to say. Does it tell us that a man was manifest in the flesh? Assuredly, that cannot be its teaching, for every man is manifest in the flesh. And there is no sense in making such a statement concerning any mere man and then calling it a mystery. Surely he must have been God. And if so, the word be not there, the sense must not be there or else nonsense. Amen. All right, man, we are moving fast. Aren't you so, man, what a blessing. What a blessing to have me up here, amen. Post-manuscript manipulations. The gender-neutral movement run amok. Look how long that version is anyway. The inclusive Bible, the first egalitarian. All right, anyway, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that God gave God's only child so that everyone who believes in that child may not perish but have, a, have eternal life. Uh, okay, amen. What a blessing. Political correctness is impacting the Bible. No way. Oh, yeah. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given hospitality, apt to teach. In the CEB, this, is, this saying is reliable. If anyone has a goal to be a supervisor in the church... Sorry, I wish I was just a supervisor, man. <laughs> they want a good thing. So the church's supervisor must be without fault. They should be faithful to their spouse. Going gender, gender neutral has changed God's qualifications. It is specifically saying a man who is born a man ought to be a pastor. All right, other reasons to use the King James... Let's just say there was, there was no issue with corrupted text, but we still had all these different versions out there. I would still use the King James. Here's why. They use italics. Whenever words needed to be added for readability, the King James translator used italics to let us know those words were not in the original. You see, uh, something I haven't really addressed is that there's two ways of doing translation. There's one that's word for word. There's another that you just kind of translate the sense of the meaning. That's the most dangerous. And we see that in several versions out there. Uh, the King James went word for word. So did some modern ones. But the King James went word for word. And when they came to a point that they said, we don't have a word that fully expresses this, they would use the italic words in your Bible. If you ever wonder, why are these italicized? They are not in the original manuscript. That's a lot of uh, integrity. So sometimes it was needed to clarify truth. Psalm 7, verse 10. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous. God is angry with the wicked every day. The ESV, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and God who feels indignation every day. Man, what a miserable existence. Other reasons for the King James. By the way, did you digest that? See why with the wicked is italicized. It takes the context and it makes it make more sense. Other reasons for the King James, the use of italics, who killed Goliath, 2 Samuel 21, 19. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines where Elhanan, the son of 
Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite. Uh, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. So we have an italicized section here to help clarify. In the ESV, and there was war again with the Philistines at Gob, and Elhanan, the son of <clears throat> the Bethlehemite, struck down Goliath the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. So the King James translator, what they did is they drew from 1 Chronicles 20 and verse 5 to supply the, the phrase, the brother of. And there was war against uh, the Philistines with Elhanan, the son of Jericho. Okay. So this is what it says in the King James, sorry. Uh, and there was war again with the Philistines, and Elhanan, the son of Yair, slew Lami, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite. David killed Goliath, not Elhanan. This is an error in modern versions, plain and simple. See, I don't like italicized words. Well, they're there for a reason. Amen. Other reasons. The spelling of the word Lord. I've mentioned this recently from the pulpit. The King James has a reason for the different three spellings of the word Lord in our Old Testament. Lord, all caps, Jehovah God. Lord, capital L, is Adonai. Lord, all lowercase, is a respectful title that my wife says to me. <laughs> she is not in here. Amen. All right. Psalm 110 and verse 1 is a good example. This is extremely important, folks. Uh, the Lord all caps, said unto my Lord, capital L, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord said, un, said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Do you see what's happening when you change the spellings? The, the King James had these spelled the way they did to let the reader know who was being referred to. So it's very important to keep these separate. So it retains the difference in the King James and it does that with the various spellings of the word Lord. So was, I, I don't know if I, do I have a slide on this? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, some have corrected it because we've made such a stink about it. So what's happening here, if you're not familiar with this, it's going to be used over in the book of Acts. And is it the book of Acts? I may have just spoke wrong. But it's going to be used in the New Testament to show that Christ is who's sitting at the right hand of the Lord, Lord Jehovah. And so this is, this is really talking about Jesus and His deity. And when you remove these various spellings, you change the meaning. Very important. Uh, another reason I would use the King James over modern versions is the use of thee, thine, thou, ye, and you. All those words that are archaic, they say, and that are too hard to understand. Uh, let me just help you understand it real quick. If it begins with a T, it's singular. It begins with a Y. It's plural. It, there, you now you know. It's not that hard to learn. So the reason why this is important, though, isn't just so we can have, you know, the King's English and sound like we're, you know, righteous. These words make the text more precise, and when you remove them, it can actually affect the meaning. Consider John three seven. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Notice the two different uses here. Jesus is speaking unto Nicodemus. He says, thee. And he says, marvel not that I'm saying, ye must be born again. ESV, do not marvel that I said unto you, you must be born again. It wasn't just Nicodemus who needed to be born again. It was all mankind. So the King James is more precise 
Marvel not, Nicodemus, that ye, all of you, must be born again. And you say, well, duh. No, there'd be somebody who would nitpick this and say, no, he was talking to Nicodemus. Come on now, you know it's true. No, he was talking to everybody. All of you here tonight must be born again. Whoop. All right, the use of the you Consider John 4.48. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when uh, he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. In the ESV, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So we learn in our King James how Jesus wasn't only addressing the noblemen. He was speaking about all of Galilee. And this is the exactness and the preciseness of the King James. You lose that when you get rid of the ye's and these and thou's and all the rest. Uh, Another reason I'd use the King James, it's not copyrighted. Now, I believe it is officially still copyrighted in the UK, but it is so old, nobody enforces it. Right? Outside of the UK, it is not copyrighted. Say, what's, what's the big deal? No one can profit off of the King James. And we can print it without permission. That's a big deal if you have a press ministry. So when I was putting this, these comparisons together the other day, a lot of these I already had, but I was just trying to research some more because this is like there's no way to exhaust this in two services. And so I was just looking at some more things, and I noticed when I was using a parallel Bible online, at the bottom of the page I noticed this. The King James Version is in the public domain. The English Standard Version is published with the permission of Good News Publishers. Hold on now. This, this ought to upset... Bible believers. God's Word should never need man's permission to reproduce it. That's enough right there if you ask me. So without a doubt, the King James Bible is superior. Let me give you some closing thoughts and we'll be done. So I hope you can clearly see the damage modern versions have done to God's Holy Word. It's all the continuation of Satan's strategy that we talked about back in week one. The first time he shows up in the garden, he does so to cast doubt on the Word of God. That's still his tactic today. He's trying to put doubt in the minds of people over the trustworthiness of God's Word through those omissions, additions, and substitutions. I hope you're convinced we have the preserved Word of God for English-speaking people. You say, well, that's not fair. How come we got it and nobody else did? God has always had one primary language that He's used. And that's just been the trend. When his people were all speaking Hebrew, they had a Hebrew. When the world went Greek, the main text went Greek. When the world went English, the main text went English. All right, the King James is taken from the pure manuscripts. I hope I've, I've discussed that at length. There's a reason why our church stays with the King James, and it's not just because I like to have something to preach about. <laughs> You are not on the sign committee, bro. He's, anyway, if you didn't hear what he said, don't worry about it. All right, the church is the pillar and ground of truth. God gave His Word. He entrusted His Word to His true church, not publishing houses or textual critics. 
You say, when you say textual critics, I don't hear that word much today. Yeah, you know what you hear? Scholar. If you hear scholar, you might want to go. Because of the copyright issue, I'm convinced all these modern versions are nothing more than a big money-making scheme today. Or else, why, why are we doing this? Why is this happening on average every one and a half years? What is going on? Somebody's trying to make money, I promise you. And what does the Bible say? The money, money is the root of all evil. Is that what it says? Did I quote that right? Thank you. The love of money is the root of all evil. So, it's my opinion a church should settle on one Bible version. I don't care what your position is. Just settle on one to avoid confusion. The other day I tuned into a local church for, for reasons that are not important. And at the end of the, the sermon, I noticed somebody, I guess he does like a question and answer kind of a time. And uh, somebody asked about the Bible versions. What a boondoggle that church had to go through. He had to do the Texas two-step just to get around half of that stuff. And it's like, just pick a version. Just pick one. I don't care what you believe on it. Just pick one. Everybody in the church was confused. So when a preacher references other versions, it casts doubt on whether the one you have in your lap is correct. Wait a minute, I'm using NIV. Why is he quoting the ESV? And then he's got to say, well, it's only, it's only good in its original manuscript. Well, I don't speak Greek or Hebrew. All right, this entire series has only been a flyover. Trust me, there's much more we could have considered more deeply. There are thousands upon thousands of alterations to consider Just look up how many times Jesus and his titles are removed in modern versions. It's alarming. The changes we've considered definitely reflect the mind of textual critics, which we discussed in those earlier messages. Textual criticism is what has led to the corrupt manuscripts, which in turn has led to all these changes in modern English versions. If you're not convinced on the issue, I just ask that you study it for yourself. You're welcome to be in this church. Amen. We're not anti-you. And if you study this, you're going to hear some of the exact same arguments I use from the other side. It's up to you to decide. But as for this church, we're going to use the King James Bible. I'm not going to tell you what to use in your home. That's up to y'all. Amen. I don't want any teacher in here, though, ever using anything else. So I hope overall this has been beneficial to you. If not, man, y'all are faithful to just, (laughs) amen. What a blessing. All right, that's why we use the King James Bibles. Any questions, go to Pastor DeGarmo. All right, let's pray.